Thank you, ladies. <clears throat> Just as you saw in the skit there, <clears throat> as I was saying earlier, I'm just so pleased about how people want to get closer to God. They, they want to be transformed. They want to have more faith. But sometimes, just as you saw there, the, the idea of transformation and the idea of, of getting closer to God and the reality of transformation and what it means to get closer to God, sometimes that can be just a, a little scary. And, uh, you know, I, I like the idea of being close to God, but I'm not sure that I want to be that close that I'm talking to Jesus today. You know what I mean? There's that conflict that goes on within us. Now, let me take a step back. Do you have your sermon outline? If you don't have a sermon outline, raise your hand. Need one over here. If you need a pen, we have pens as well. So you can follow along here. You know, this week in our small group, like I said, we had over 70 people meeting in small groups this week. And, um, it was kind of interesting because, you know, we talked about transformation and there was that verse this week that, that those who belong to Christ are a new creation. The old life is gone. The new life is here. And uh, one of the, two of the people in the small group said, well, you know, I, I'm kind of a little bit afraid of transformation. I said, well, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? And they said, well, th- there, there was this idea, I don't really want to lose who I was. I like the idea of a new life, but I don't really want to be erased and started over. And, and, and what does this new life mean? You know, what does it look like? And, and this is why I love small group. And this is why I think small group is the essence of this. I'd never thought about that. Because for me, I'd be happy to be a new me. I mean, I'm fine with a new me, but not everybody is fine with a new them. You know, you've got all your memories. You've got everything, you know, that makes you who you are. The good, the bad, and the ugly is all a part of who you are, right? So this idea of transformation and the reality of transformation can be kind of different. So what is the difference between being conformed and transformed? Romans 12.2, which is the, the key verse for this passage, says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you've got conformed and transformed. Well, conformed is about the external. It's about what something looks like. Transformed is about the internal. It's about what's going on in the heart. And God is always more interested in what's going on in the heart than he is with the external. Because you can do everything right, but the heart is wrong, and it counts for nothing. And I'm going to say this, and some people are going to go, eh, You can do a lot of things wrong, but if the heart is right, I believe that God and Jesus is going to look at you in a much better light than the person that puts on a false exterior. So it's the difference between conformed and Christian. And there's a huge, conformed is about cookie-cutter religion. And, you know, the church has been bad about this in the past. It's like we want to get everybody in. It's like we've got a Ken and Barbie. Is it Ken and Barbie? Got it right? cookie cutter and, and we, we squeeze everybody into the cookie cutter so everybody has to look the same. You've got to think the same. You've got to sing the same. You've got to believe the same. You've got to vote the same. And if you don't look the same, talk the same, believe the same, behave the same, vote the same, then you need to re-examine your, your walk with God and, and the church for so many years. That's been the approach of the church. Now, while there's not necessarily a bad thing to help people with their behaviors and, and dealing with that, that's not the model that, that, that Jesus talked about. In fact, Jesus often berated the religious people of his time, and they did everything right. 
They followed all the laws of, of God to the nth degree. And he called them a brood of vipers. He told them they were, they, they were Satan's children. It's like, okay, all these people that do everything so right are Satan's children. They're a brood of vipers. And what he was saying, you're whitewashed tombs. He says, everything on the outside looks good, but your heart is bad. Confirmation is about what's on the outside. Transformation is about what's going on on the inside. Jesus, Jesus is not looking, oh, I've got to be careful what I say up here. Jesus is not looking for a bunch of rule obeyers. There, I said it. He's looking for people who want to follow him. He says, come, come follow me. I'll change your heart. You don't have to worry about the rules because if you're following me, we'll take care of that together. You won't be inclined to those things. You'll be inclined to my things because you're following me. You're changing the heart. But the process of transformation begins with a change of thinking. It begins in the head. It's how we think about the Lord. It's how we think about our relationship with the Lord. It's about how we think about what the Lord requires of us. You know, we spent the whole first part of this year in a preemptive series called My God Is. And that was very intentional because I wanted us to be thinking about who God is. Because the more you understand who God is as he has revealed himself to us, the closer you get to God. And the closer you get to God, the closer you get to transformation. Because transformation happens in the presence of God. The memory verse for this week, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Transformation happens when you get close to God. So this morning we're going to talk about how do you get closer to God. And I've got four, four questions, four things that we need to do to get closer to God. And what we'll discover is that the further away you get from God, the more your life is troubled. And the closer you get to God, the more your life is transformed. Now, I could put a few caveats on that, but I'm not going to here. We'll, we'll just keep moving forward. Luke, there's a wonderful passage in Luke chapter 15, and probably everybody here and everybody watching knows this passage of Scripture. I even knew about this passage of Scripture before I ever was interested in, in Jesus. And a lot of people call it the prodigal son. It's about a man who wanders away and then comes back again. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 15 in the New Living Translation. Now, I put the whole passage in your notes here, but we're going to look at a bit Answer one of these questions, look at another bit, so you'll have to refer back and forth. But it'll be up on the screen there. So it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. Now, the point that Jesus was illustrating, just so we've got context, and the whole of chapter 15 is about this, is that God loves his children. God loves his children who are close to him, and God loves his children who are far from him. And the whole of chapter 15 is dealing with people who are God's children but are far from him. They've wandered off. Something's gone on in life. They've, they got distracted. Satan's got hold of them, and they've wandered off. And the whole of chapter 15 is about God's desire to bring them back. So to illustrate this point, Jesus is telling this story. He says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Doesn't that warm your heart? Hey, Dad, can I have my inheritance before you die? You know, I want the money now, man. I love you too, son. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. There are two sons. 
A few days later, his younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. So this, this is, I mean, this is heartbreaking for dad, right? First of all, the, the son insults the relationship. Give me the money now. So he gives him the money. A couple of days later, he packs his bag and leaves. Thanks, dad. See you later. Went to a distant land. There he wasted all his money in wild living. At the time, his, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, there's a little irony there because this man's Jewish. They don't eat pork. And now he's tending pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. Point number one on your outline, if you want to get closer to God, get ready for this. You got to get fed up with my life. Get fed up with my life. If I want to get closer to God, I got to be fed up with the life that I've got. You got to change your thinking about what brings satisfaction. You got to change your thinking about what makes you happy. You got to change your thinking about what it means to be alive. This guy had a good life with his family. I'm assuming dad was quite wealthy. They have servants. But for some reason, he's dissatisfied and he thought there's something better out there and I need to go after whatever it is out there. Thanks, Dad. Give me the money. I'm out of here. And he went off to find it. But he never found it. Now, sure, he had some wild times and he had some fun times. You know, I hate it when pastors get up there, you know, and they say, oh, you know, that's sin. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I mean, before I was a Christian, I was drunk and happy. I was having a good time. I didn't have a God-shaped hole in me till Jesus got hold of me. But this guy's out there. He's having a fun time. He's drinking wild, crazy parties. Everything's going on. But look what caused his thinking to change. Verse 14. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Now, sometimes Jesus has to bring circumstances into our lives to create dissatisfaction. I hate to tell that to you. Sometimes it's the, Jesus is the cause of dissatisfaction in our lives. He is, he's the, the irritant on our skin because he wants to get our attention. Why would he do that? Because we cannot begin to live the new life that Jesus has for us until we're willing to give up the old life that we already have. This guy wasn't ready to give up the old life because he was partying. So Jesus brought some circumstances into his life. Says he wasted all his money. His money ran out. He began to starve. God got his attention. Right about the time his money's running out, there's a famine. Now, did God cause the famine? It doesn't say that God caused the famine. Tell you what the scripture says. The rain shines on the good. The rain shines on the bad. The sun shines on the good. The sun shines on the bad. Here's the difference. It's either going to rain on you or sunshine on you with Jesus, or it's going to rain on you and sunshine on you without Jesus. I've done both. Like I said, my life, I was living a great life. I was enjoying life. Then Jesus came along. He really messed things up. All of a sudden, my life wasn't so great. I mean, my life was a party, and I was at the party. And I was enjoying it. And then Jesus comes into my life. 
And he changed my life. And all of a sudden, I wasn't as happy as I used to be. Isn't that strange? I mean, I'd love to tell you. I hear it all the time. But Jesus came into my life and I'm... Hallelujah. I wasn't as happy. Because I wasn't dissatisfied with the old life that I had yet. Jesus had something better for me, but I was not convinced of the better that Jesus had for me. So I'm holding on to the old life. So Jesus brings some irritants into my life. And I remember my life getting downright miserable for a long period of time until I kind of said, there's got to be a better way. And Jesus said, hmm, I'm the way. Maybe you should try me. That's exactly what happened with this guy. I don't know that God caused the famine, but God used the famine. I don't know that God caused all the stuff that was going on in my life, but he used the things that were going on in my life. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. This guy's out there. He's been party hardy. Now he's hungry. He's starving. He can't even eat the pig food. He's looking for Jesus. He's looking for God. Oh, God, we just send, send me an apple. Send me anything. I'm just so hungry. I just need you. You get desperate sometimes. You know, there's a saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. I believe there are, but I bet there's a lot of conversions too. Sometimes difficult circumstances are the catalyst that brings about a sincere search for Christ. That doesn't mean that God is the author of those circumstances, but he uses those circumstances. In verse 17, it says, he finally came to his senses. So if I want to get closer to God, first, I have to get fed up with my life. Second, I have to own up to my sin. Verse 18, he says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. He took ownership of the problem. I've sinned. My sin has put a distance between me and you, Father. I will draw close to my Father. I will go home. Father, I messed up big time. But now I want to come home to you. And the problem with us sometimes is that when we wander from God, Satan will, u- Satan will use that to keep us from God. He piles guilt on there. He piles all kinds of shame on there. God doesn't want you back, you dirty low-life sinner. Just stay in your corner there. Stay in your hole and and hide over there and cry for mercy. But he doesn't want you. And sometimes our sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, 2 says, It's your sin. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Now, I'm going to say something that, that a lot of people might find difficult. Sometimes if you're finding there's a barrier between you and God, you're calling out to God for something, and it's like your, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, they might be. If you've got something going on in your life that you know is opposite to what God wants for your life, and you won't let it go, and you keep holding on to it, God says in the Scripture over and over, you can pray to me, you can call on me, I'm not listening to you. Talk to the hand. Get that sorted out in your life. And I will welcome you gladly. Everyone sins. And our sin can become a barrier between us and the Lord. But God says, listen, get real with it. And I'll help you clean that mess up. But you've got to get real with me. First John 1, 8 and 9, a great verse passage. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. 
and not living in the truth. Sometimes we could do that, can't we? That doesn't really hurt. It's nothing. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's why that water up there is so muddy. Got that stuff cleaned off as Charlotte and cleansed from all wickedness. Actually, I think it was me, but... You know, secret sin can be the downfall of many a good person. And most people, most people aren't like this guy. They don't go off and do something wild and crazy. You know, give me the money, I'm going off and I'm going on a bender. That's not typically what we do. But Satan is so much more subtle than that in our lives. It's the little tiny things that creep in that seem almost inconsequential at the start and then can kind of build. You know... You're not going to find a briefcase with a million dollars stuffed in it. Because if you find a briefcase with a million dollars stuffed in in it, high chances are you're going to the police station with it. Find a million bucks. It's it's too big, right? But you're at at the grocery store. And you go through the self-checkout. And you're checking out. And you look down. And with the changes, you, you notice somebody's changes there. Looks like somebody paid with a 20 this change of a 20 dinner, maybe five, six dollars, not much. And you look at it, I could turn it into customer service, but they're never going to give it back to the person. That person's not ever coming back for this money. Who's driving back here for five bucks? Yeah, it's, it's nothing. I'll just look after that. It's such a little thing. So easy. But it's a change of mind. And then the next one, you know, you go there two weeks' time, it was just a change of a 50. Then I never go It's It's a victimless crime, right? They're not coming back for that. Those people aren't going to give it to them. If I don't take it, somebody else will take it. Or it's like that relationship at work, right? That person, we're just going for coffee. It's nothing. It's just coffee. Or that email that you send. Maybe a little overly friendly. Maybe just a little flirtatious. But it's just fun. It's just work. It's, it's nothing. Nothing's going on here. You know, we've all heard the, the illustration of the frog, right? A frog's not going to jump into a bowl of boiling water. But if you put a frog in a, in a bowl of cold water, and you slowly heat that water up, and that frog's sitting in there, and at some point, the frog realizes, oh, man, I've got to get out of here. But by the time the frog realizes, he's already in hot water. It's already too late. Sometimes that's what happens in our lives with sin. You know, you're sitting at your computer. You're watching a YouTube video. And, you know, they've got all the other videos there, suggestions for you. And you look at one, and it's not that bad, but it's a little more risque. And I don't know, they always seem to have the best-looking girls on those as a... What do they call it? Thumbnail. It's nothing. Just click on it. It's nothing. And you watch that one. And once you've watched that one, then they got a whole slew of them for you. And each one's a little bit worse than the next one. And down you go. It's so easy. You need a spiritual checkup sometimes. We all need a spiritual checkup sometimes. We all need to stop and take stock of where we're at. How am I doing, God? You know, 
I, I think I'm doing okay, but I need you to examine my life. Search me. Show me what's going on in my life. Show me these little things that are kind of creeping in that, I, that I'm not even thinking about. I need a spiritual checkup. This whole series is a spiritual checkup because we're going to be looking at seven different areas of our lives and, and, and seeing how we're doing in those, in those areas. And just as you go to the doctor once a year, and I promise I will go, Sandra, and you get your blood pressure checked and you get your cholesterol checked and you get your blood sugar checked. I don't like going because I know it. <laughs> yeah, you're fat, your blood pressure's high, you've got cholesterol, and I don't know why you're still alive. And, and they do a colonoscopy, or if you're a woman, they do a mammogram. And, and, and you're not going there because you're sick, right? You're going there to prevent sickness. You're going there for a checkup to see what's going wrong that I don't know about. We need the same kind of spiritual checkup. What are the things that have crept into my life, God, that I'm beginning to do that are not healthy for me, but right now I'm just kind of letting it slide. I need to stop letting it slide. There's a great verse from the message, 2 Corinthians 13.5. It says, test yourself. And make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need first-hand evidence, not hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Is it evident in every area of your life that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? If if an alien were to come along and take a snapshot of your life, would they say, Christ follower? Or would they say, hmm, not sure about that one. A little bit lukewarm. And then it says, test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. That's what this series is all about. Do something about it. Make a course correction. And you can do it. You know why? Because God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. All right, where am I at? How are we doing for time? Oh, we got hours. First, I get fed up with my life. Second, I own up to the sin. Third, I offer myself up. Verse 18. He says, I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he left as give me the money and he comes back in humility. I'll just be a servant. I'm not even, I don't even care about being on level Ground with my brother now. I'll I'll serve. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. How many would do that? That's hard, isn't it? Uh, You know, you put yourself in that situation, and he's gone off, and he's squandered the money. I can't help myself. There'd be a sense of, oh, now you come back got no money left? You coming back for a refill? We'll see about that. When you're good and sorry, you come talk to me and maybe we'll see where it goes. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. He leaves greedy. He comes back humble. That's a change of thinking. If you want to get closer to God, you've got to offer yourself up to him. And look at the father's response. It's just a wonderful response, isn't it? Filled with love and compassion. There's no resentment there. 
There's no hurt. They're filled with love and compassion. That's a Holy Spirit thing going on right there. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Think if you were the son. It's like, this is, this is better than my best scenario. Dad's coming running to me. I'm, I'm seeing dad coming running to me. I'm thinking, uh-oh. It's coming down now. When we are ready to come home to God, he is ready and more than willing to receive us. He says, you come on back. I don't care what you did. I don't care how bad it was. I don't care how low you sank. As soon as you come on back to me, as soon as you say, man, I messed up, God. I messed up big time. I am so sorry. I want to change. He says, come on in, man. Let's get that thing cleaned up. Let's get you going on the right path here. I don't want you going down that road anymore. I got something better for you. Come to me. I'm going to put you on the right path. I'm going to get you going in the right direction. You won't even want that anymore. It's like, yeah, God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Say, come back to me. I'll sort you out. I'll straighten you up. I'll change your thinking. I'll get you going in the right direction. You'll know exactly what I want. It's going to be good. Come on back. So how do I respond to God's grace? How do I respond to God's mercy? Offer yourself up to him. God, I'm coming back to you. Whatever you want. What do you want to do with me? How do you want to use me? I am yours, God. Do as you please. I need someone to change diapers. I'm mostly yours, God. First, I get fed up with my life. Second, I own up to my sin. Third, I offer myself up in response to God's goodness. And fourth, I lift my praise up. It says, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Sandals for his feet. Let's clean this boy up. Kill the calf we have been fattening. You know that special one that's out there that we've been waiting for a big fancy celebration? Get that calf. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but he is, now he is found. And I like this. So the party began. You know where I'm going after this? I'm going to my daughter and my son-in-law's house. And we're having a party. Because my granddaughter got baptized. We're going to celebrate what God has done. We're going to have a party and celebrate. It's good news. Psalm 68, 4 says, Sing praises to God in His name. Sing loud praises to Him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in His presence. I don't know what it is, I remember back in my rock and roll days, there was a song by a band called Urgent. It's called God Gave Rock and Roll to You. And I I loved that song. God gave rock and roll to us. And some of you are not rock and roll fans. I know my wife isn't. First date I took my wife on, ACDC. Was not a good plan. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm? How was her ride home? It was fine. We couldn't hear each other. 
God gave us something. Didn't he? There, there's a passion for music. We love to worship. He put it in us. And, and it's all through the Bible. I mean, what's the longest book of the Bible? It's the song book. Psalms. There's one chapter in the Psalms that's bigger than most books of the Bible. One song. He put it in us to sing praises to Him. When we sing praises to God, it draws us closer to Him. When we get closer to Him, we are in the place of transformation. Don't be afraid to crank your music up and sing a song. Sing out and let it flow. Okay. I look here sometimes. Hector's told me not to do this kind of thing, but he's down there teaching kids, so he doesn't know. He says, don't criticize people. I look around here sometimes when we're worshiping, and I know it's difficult because it's small, right? And we're kind of all spaced out, and sometimes the music's not as loud as I would like it. I'm just saying. People ask me sometimes, why do I play my music at the volume I play it at? The answer is simple, because it don't go any louder. <laughs> if it did, I'd play it louder. Don't be afraid to let it go. Don't worry about what the person next to you sounds like, what you sound like, whether anybody else is singing. Praise your Father in heaven. He is worthy of praise. And when we come to Him and worship, we should sing in such a way that we demonstrate to Him, God, I believe you're worthy of these words I'm singing. And you'll find it will draw you closer to Him. And when one person starts to sing out, the person next to them starts to sing out, and the person next to them. And all of a sudden, it's contagious, and everybody's singing out. One of the things I notice when I go home to England, and I go to my sister's church, there's sometimes, how many people in there, Sandra? 15? 12, 15? Someone playing on a piano. And there's 15 people singing their hearts out. They don't care. They're just singing their hearts out. They came to praise Jesus. When you live in an atheistic country, it means something to praise Jesus. When you live in a church culture, it gets a little bit diluted. And sometimes our worship gets diluted with it. Because I can go to the church down the road. They got a bigger praise band. They got professionals. They got better lights. No matter where you are, worship comes from the heart. It is when our spirit connects with God's spirit. So we're going to share communion in a moment, but I'm going to ask the band to come up and play that one last worship song. And I'm going to ask you all right now, I I want you to just take a second and, and just pray quietly yourself. God, give me a passion for worship. We're going to sing one song. Let's raise the roof for one song. Can we do that? Let's do it. I think it's important too when we're discussing worship to, um, you know, worship really, and I like what Mike said about, you know, there are churches where you have um, paid musicians, you have multi-million dollar equipment in some cases, I mean, seriously, and, you know, that's nice, but really, worship is not for us. Uh, it's not for us at all, actually. I mean, it 
by God's grace, when we worship him, we do come closer to him. And so we do benefit, but it's not for us. We worship is, is for God and it's practice guys, because this is what we're going to be doing for eternity. We are going to be, and you, you better believe we're going to be raising the roof as Mike would say, because we are going to be in the presence of God, but we are right now too. So just remember that, you know, hopefully I don't mess this up too bad. (laughs) That's right. You sing so loud that it won't matter if I mess the song up. Your love is a mystery while you're gently 